If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke 19, and we will begin in verse 45, right at the end of Luke 19. Luke 19, verse 45, and um, as you know, as you're turning, as uh, I, I, I read about, uh, of course, it's deer season. This is opening weekend, and I read about a, uh, a, a group of friends that were all going out deer hunting. One was a preacher. And one was a lawyer and one was a doctor. They all went out deer hunting together and, and they're all sitting up in the sand and here comes this magnificent buck right in the midst of all three of them. And all at the same time they all fired and the deers fell down dead. And they all rushed out there to, to, see, to, to, to claim their prize and they got there. There was only one bullet hole in the whole deer. And of course the, the preacher said it was his, the doctor said it was his, the lawyer argued it was his. And they got into a big, big argument out there in the woods, and they couldn't figure out whose it was, couldn't agree on, on how to handle it. So they decided to call the game warden out and have him decide. He was an impartial uh, party, and so they had the game warden come out and look at things. And, and uh, the, the game warden uh, heard what happened and, and inspected the deer and, and looked him over and stood up and said, the preacher shot it. They said, how can you tell? He said, well, the bullet went in one ear and out the other. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, I've probably told that joke before, but I really like it, so I don't mind just telling it again. Uh, But we are going to be in Luke 19, starting in verse 45. We'll read down to the first part of uh, chapter 20 in just a moment. Now, as we uh, just kind of reorient you to where we are, I know it's been a week since we looked at this, but you remember last time we got together and looked at this, we looked at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So this was on a Sunday. This is what we commonly call uh, Palm Sunday. And there was a lot of rejoicing. There was celebrating. People were waving the palm branches. You remember they, they, they covered the roads with their coats, with the palm branches and, and so forth. And they were proclaiming him to be their king. They, they recognized that he was the Messiah. And they thought that he was finally going to come and overthrow Rome. That, that he was bringing salvation from the Romans. But of course we know that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to bring salvation from Rome, but salvation from sin. And he told his followers again and again, this is what my kingdom is going to be like. This is what you should be looking for. This is what's going to happen and so forth. But, but they, they, they missed it. And so they got all caught up in the excitement, the, the messianic fervor, if you will. And, uh, and, and so they were celebrating. They got caught up with what the crowd was thinking. And they, they misunderstood what Jesus was about um, as well. So we, we know that Jesus went into town, and, uh, and I mentioned last time that his, his encounters with the religious leaders, both in frequency and, uh, and intensity, they, they, they really pick up from this point on. Because, I mean, again, this is the last week of Jesus' life. Okay, he's gonna, this is Sunday, he's going to die on Friday. So this is drawing right up to the end of his life. And so that's where we pick up in verse, uh, in verse 45. Jesus has entered Jerusalem. Uh, the people, there's all kinds of, of cheering and, and shouting Hosanna and so forth. And that's where we pick up in verse 45 today. Now if you found Luke 19 and are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word. We'll read down to chapter 20 and verse 8. <clears throat> It says, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, It is written, And my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him, and they could not find anything that they might do, for all the people were hanging on every word he said. On one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him. And they spoke, saying to him, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things. 
Or who is, who is the one who gave you this authority? Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you a question, and you tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? They reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered, and, so they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> the first thing I want you to see today in our text, if you look back in, uh, in chapter 19 and verse 45 and following, is the temple cleansed. The temple cleansed. Now, if you look at verse 45, it says that uh, Jesus entered the temple. Now, now, Luke doesn't fill in all the details. Okay, Mark, he, he leaves a couple gaps, and Mark fills in some of those gaps. Uh, but, but Luke says he entered the temple. Mark tells us, Jesus came into Jerusalem on Sunday. He entered the temple and cleansed it and ran all these people out on Monday. So this is the next day after he's come into town. And, um, and, and so, so notice what it says. It says they entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling. Now this is the second time that he's done this very act because John records that he actually did it at the beginning of his ministry too. You remember at the beginning of his ministry, he goes into town, he, he drives the people out who are buying and selling the money changers, turns the tables over, and you probably have seen the, the, the memes and things like that that say if, if somebody tells you to, uh, what, what would Jesus do, just remind them that turning over some tables and running people off might not, uh, I'm just ruining that, but anyway, that's, that's within reason of what Jesus would do. That's what he did at the beginning and the end of his ministries. This was a, that they were like bookends, that these are, prophetic acts that Jesus is doing. He is claiming ownership. He is claiming lordship over the temple. And so he's cleaning it out. He's, he's cleaning house and running these people off. Now, it says that, that he ran off those who were selling. Those who are buying and selling. Now, who are these people that he runs off? Now, understand, when, when it says that he drives them out, he's not saying, hey guys, um, you think maybe sometime today you could maybe get together and have a a, 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 a council and figure out the, a, a timeline for maybe getting your stuff out of here. His timeline was to get it done now. And he didn't just say, get it done. He actually overturned tables and ran people off. Jesus was, was incensed when he saw what was going on in the temple. Now, who are these people? Well, it says those who are buying and selling. So these are merchants and, uh, and customers. It, 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 it was the money changers. It also, the, the, the other gospels tell us that there's also people who are selling doves and also people who are cutting through the temple to, as a shortcut. In other words, he cleaned house. And so who are these people? Well, remember, if a Jew, now there were certain feasts in, in the Jewish religious system, and there were certain feasts that were required of all the Jews. You had to go to, to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. And one of those feasts is Passover, and that's what Jesus is in town for. And so if you were a Jew that lived in a far-off land, you couldn't, you couldn't bring a, a cow or an ox or sheep or whatever it is that whole way. So there, there were times when necessity would say, you've got to leave your animal there, but yet you get to Jerusalem, you still have to sacrifice an animal. And so what would happen is they, the, there were some entrepreneurs who said, you know what? Here is a here's a captive market. People are going to have to people are going to have to have these animals. 
We'll provide this service of providing the animals, and we'll make sure that they're ones that are acceptable for sacrifice. Now, the, key, the, the, the kicker is the people who, de- who decided and determined what was acceptable for sacrifice were the religious leaders. So guess who it was that were selling a lot of these animals? The religious leaders. So these religious leaders had their, their hands in the pot. I mean, they, and they're robbing people blind. If you've ever traveled and you've gone to an airport, you know they do the same thing at an airport, right? If you get hungry, if you want to buy a hamburger, it's going to cost you like a $20 bill. For, for, well, that's about what it is anyway. Um, but anyway, it's even worse in, in, a hotel, in a hotel, in an airport. They, but it was worse then because you had to do these things. At an airport, you can just go hungry. But if you go to Jerusalem for these things, you have to have an animal. And so they had the people uh, over a barrel, and they said, this is, the, these are things you can buy, and we'll rob you blind, and people just had no choice but to pay these exorbitant prices. So those are the, those are the buyers and the sellers. Now, the reason that it got Jesus so upset, I mean, this was stuff that was allowed in the law, that, that you could have an animal, buy an animal there and so forth. But what upset Jesus so much was, you remember the temple, there was the innermost chamber, the Holy of Holies, where the, where, where the high priest could go once a year and so forth. But outside of that, there were different courtyards. And, and the further out you went, the more people could come. So the closer you got, the fewer people could get up close to the Holy of Holies. The outermost court was called the Court of the Gentiles. And so if a non-Jew wanted to come and worship Israel's God, that's as far as he could go. That's as close to the Holy of Holies as he could get. And so these people set up and, and had a bazaar selling farm animals where the people are supposed to be coming and praying, where the people are supposed to be worshiping. And this so incensed Jesus, this upset Jesus so much, because here are these people, he said, my house is to be called a house of prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes it doesn't take very much to distract me when I'm praying. And so when, when, I, when I'm trying to focus on talking to God and so forth, sometimes the, the smallest thing, I mean, even if it's dead silent, my own mind kind of, kind of wonders. But, but just imagine you are a person who's coming to worship Israel's God. And all around you are the, the smells and the sounds of livestock. All around you are the sounds of bartering and haggling. All around you are, are people talking and laughing and, and, and catching up with friends. Hey, I haven't seen you in a long time. What's been going on? And all this stuff happening around you. And you're supposed to be focusing on God. You're supposed to be focusing on prayer. And that's the only place you can go to, to be in that place of worship. And that is the, the environment that Jesus walked into. And that's why he was so upset. So those are the buyers and the sellers. But there are also money changers. Because part of the sacrifice, part of the offering that you did when you went to Passover and so forth, was you had to bring a certain amount of money. And the kicker is only a certain type of coinage was accepted. So if you're a Jew that lives in some foreign land, you don't have the type of money that was accepted. And so you would have to change your money over. It's like if you go to, if you go to Mexico, you have to exchange your money. And it's same, same thing here. They had to exchange their money and so they didn't have international exchange rates. You would go, and they would rip you off. They'd say, okay, well, today your dollar is worth X amount. And so, so there, there are these money changers that, that were, again, taking advantage of the people. All of this was going on around the animals that were being sold and bartered and, and so forth. And then there were people who were 
selling doves, which was also another type of, of offering. And on top of all of that, one of the gospel writers records that Jesus was stopping people who were using the temple complex as a shortcut. Now, that may not seem like that big of a deal, but if you've ever been in an office or a classroom that's near like a copy machine or a bathroom, you know how disruptive it can be because people come through and they use that, that area like a hallway. And they don't have any, they, they, they don't even pay attention to what's going on in that room. They'll just come through and, and they'll be, maybe if they're walking with a friend, they'll be talking. At the very least, it's disruptive as, as they stroll through just in the middle of things. And so all this was going on, this place where the nation should be coming and worshiping God was happening. Uh, all this was supposed to be taking place in the court of the Gentiles. And, and when we look at it, all these things were going on in that very place. And that's why Jesus, when he came in, he flipped over tables and he drove people out. There wasn't any discussion. There wasn't any, uh, hey, do you think maybe it was get out and get out now. And he, he, he quoted two different Old Testament passages. If you look at verse 46, uh, in, in some translation or some, some uh, types of Bibles, it'll have it in all caps or something like that. So it's an Old Testament quotation. One is out of Isaiah 56. In verse 7, and the other is out of Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. Interestingly, in Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah the prophet spoke to the people of Israel because they believed that God would not bring judgment on them because they had the temple in their presence. And so they felt secure, they felt confident that God would not judge them because they had God's house there. And, and likewise, most likely these people thought, well, God's not going to bring judgment on us because we have the temple. But anyway, he, he drove all these people out, citing these passages. It was, it was clearly a prophetic act. And he was, he was asserting his authority over what should and should not happen in the temple. He is not just Lord of the Sabbath. He is also Lord of the temple. He is head of the church. Now this shows us that God has the exclusive right to determine how he is to be worshipped. He determines how, what is acceptable to Him. Worship is not a trivial thing. Sometimes we, we come into, into church, we come to the time of worship, and, and, and sometimes we're flippant. Sometimes whenever we, we sing the songs, we, we don't even bother to, to give voice to our praise. But it is of utmost importance to God the way that we worship Him. Church is, is not a time or a place for commercial transactions. It's a time to, to, to lift up, to magnify, to glorify, to exalt and extol the name of Jesus Christ. That's what worship is all about. So we see, we see the temple cleansed. Next I want you to see the leaders frustrated. The leaders frustrated. Look at verses 47 and 48. The cleansing of the temple happened on Monday. Again, according to Mark, he, he fills in some of the details. On Tuesday, Jesus goes into the temple, and he's teaching and preaching, and he has this encounter with religious leaders. And understand, he is not only, he is directly challenging the authority of the, the, the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these religious leaders. He, he is he is coming straight at them and saying, I have authority to determine not only uh, what, what should be happening in the temple, not only uh, what should and should not be going on in the temple, but also what needs to be taught in the temple. So he's teaching and preaching 
and the religious establishment has had enough. In all likelihood, on Monday, Jesus comes in, overturns these tables, runs people out. They see an immediate hit to their bottom line. They probably get, have a, a, an emergency meeting, get everybody together. What are we going to do about this troubler of Israel? And so they come up with this plan. Let's destroy him. Let's kill him. Let's get rid of this guy. The problem is, how are they going to do it? If you look at verse 48, they can't catch him. Uh, the, verse 48, their, their planes are frustrated because they, they say, let's kill him. But how are we going to do that? Because the people are hanging on every word that he says. He's never alone. He, pe- people are, are, are walking around. They always want a word with Jesus. And we can't catch him alone. We can't catch him in, in error. We can't catch him in blasphemy. How are we going to, to destroy Jesus? And what's worse, if you'll notice the end of verse 48, the, the people were hanging on every word that he said. The people recognized there was a difference between the way Jesus taught and the way these religious leaders taught. The Bible says that the people recognized he taught with authority, and they were jealous of that. So, so they were frustrated in their plans because they couldn't destroy him. You know why they couldn't destroy him? Because it wasn't his time yet. His day would come on Friday. That was the, that was the appointed hour for his death. And listen... No matter what you do and don't do, you cannot extend your, your life one second past what God has ordained. And you, you're not going to shorten it one second be, before God says it's time. So we see uh, the, the, the leaders frustrated. Finally, I want you to see his authority questioned. His authority questioned. We see that in uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. They say, you know what, we can't figure out a, a sneaky way of getting him. So on Tuesday, they say, let's do this. Let's go at him straight on. Let's just come straight at him and, and, and challenge him. If you look at the end of verse 1, it says the elders, uh, the, all these people, uh, including the, the, the elders, confronted him. Now, the, the, the word choice that is used there means they stood up to him. They'd had enough. If they were in an old western, you know what they would have said? This this town ain't big enough for the both of us. You know what they they were they were coming at Jesus because they, they they were they were ready to have a throwdown. And so here's how they challenged him. They said, you know what? Here here are two questions. They're related. Tell us by what authority you're doing these things, or who gave you this authority. Now again, these are the guys that are in charge of all that stuff. They're the ones who have the authority. They think, and they say, who has given you? Where did you get this authority? To do these things, namely, to run our money-making business out of here. To cleanse the temple. They knew they certainly had not given him the authority. And on the surface, it may seem reasonable that they even asked it. The problem is, they didn't want an honest answer. Their aim was to get him to do or say something that they could attack. Their, their aim was for him to do or say something that they could seize upon. Now, a couple things need to be noted first... What does Jesus say? He's not, he's not evading their question. He says, you know what? You ask this question, I'll answer it. But you answer my question first. And I, I want you to notice, the implication is that once they answer, his answer is going to build off of that. The implication is, if you recognize that John's baptism, his whole ministry came from God... You're going to have your answer because I'm going to build off of that and say, yeah, that's, that's the same source for me. 
But second, his question suggests that if these, if these religious leaders can't determine the difference between just a, 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 an ordinary person and, and a, a prophet of God, they don't have any business. They're, they're not going to be able to determine the Messiah when they see him. They're not going to be able to determine uh, the, 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 the genuine source of authority. So he turns this around and asks them, where did John's baptism come from, heaven or men? Was he acting under divine compulsion or was it simply a human act? He puts them on the spot. He turns that around to them. And again, they came at him in public. And so, so everybody's looking at them. And their, their answer, I mean, he put them on the horns of a dilemma, didn't he? Somebody said that they were caught between their conviction and cowardice. Because if they say John's ministry and his baptism came from God, then Jesus will rightly say, then why didn't you believe it? If this is really from God, why didn't you believe it? So look again at, at their deliberation. Verse 5. They, they have a, a huddle. And I can imagine them circling up, talking, arguing, debating. Every once in a while one of them looks at Jesus, glances at the crowd that's looking at them, waiting for them to, to come up with an answer. And they say, well, if, if we say it's from God... He'll say, why didn't you believe it? And if we say, but what if we say it's, it, it's just, he, he was just a man. It's nothing more than just a, a human act. The people around us are going to stone us to death. And they're stereotypical politicians. They didn't give a straight answer. And I know I, I, I rag on politicians a lot, but it's mainly because I, I listen to them. Um, I mean, they, they say, well, you know what? We, we don't know. Now, the, the, the issue was not that they didn't know. They knew the answer to the question. They were trying to, to save face and, and advance their agenda. So they said, you know what? We don't, we don't know uh, where it came from. We don't know. And Jesus, and if you'll notice what, it, what it, the, the exchange here, they say, we don't know. And he says, yeah, I won't, I won't answer you either. He doesn't say he doesn't know. He says, you know what? I know. You know, I know that you know. And now everybody knows that you know. He says, yeah. They say, we, we don't know the answer. He says, yeah, I'm not answering you either. Listen, Jesus did not need their sanction to act. He didn't need their okay. He didn't need their approval. He didn't need them for, to, to give him a, a permit. He didn't need to be licensed by them. He didn't need uh, any of those things. He didn't need a stamp of approval from these religious leaders, and he doesn't need it today either. He doesn't need your approval or my approval to act. He doesn't take counsel with Jeff. He doesn't say, you know, Jeff, here's what I think I need to do. Is that okay with you? He doesn't do that. And he doesn't take counsel with you either. None of us is the Lord's counselor. Jesus shows them, I know, what's, I, I know that you know, you know that John's ministry was from God. You know that my ministry is from God. And, and again, he's showing them and showing the people that if they cannot tell the difference between a, a true prophet and just an ordinary man, they're not going to recognize the Messiah. And listen, Jesus is the Messiah. And he actually tells a parable in response to them in verses 
uh, 9 through 18. We're, we're not going to look at it today because of time. But for today, the answer to their question is obvious. They said, where did you get the authority to do these things? Who gave you this authority? And the answer to that question is obvious. He has the authority because he is God incarnate. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of the temple. He is head of the church. He is king of the Jews. He is creator. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. He doesn't need your okay. He doesn't need my okay to act. Sometimes I see these, these uh, name it, claim it guys on TV or on social media, whatever it is, and they, they talk like God needs you to, to authorize his action. Bull. God can and does act. He does whatsoever he pleases. He doesn't depend on man. He doesn't need man. He doesn't count on man. He doesn't need us to give him okay or permission or anything else. He is Lord. He is Lord and we are not. He has an authority within himself. Again, he doesn't count on man. He doesn't need us. We need him. And the question that, that must be answered in our own hearts today is, is he your Lord? Yes, he is Lord. But do you recognize that lordship? He has a right within himself to say, this is acceptable, this is not acceptable. This is acceptable worship, this is not acceptable worship. This is an acceptable way of living, this is not an acceptable way of living. This is sin, this is not sin. This is things you, these are things you should do, these are things you should not do. He has that authority in and of himself because he is God. And the question that I challenge you to answer is, is he your Lord? Is he your God? Do you submit to his lordship? If you've never come to that point where you've repented of your sin, where you've recognized your sin against him, and you've asked him to forgive you, to ask him to save you, do that today. For those of us who are Christians, we have done that. That is still a challenge, isn't it? Because we have to make that conscious decision. Am I going to do what God says? We talked about it in Sunday school. We, we can't be hearers of the word only. We need to be doers of the word. We, we can't just come to church and have all this input and no outflow. We need to be living in obedience to Him. He is Lord. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just ask you again, is he your Lord? Do you recognize that you're a sinner? That your sin is an offense to a holy God? If you are unsaved, if you are not a Christian, 
today the Bible says you stand condemned because you've not believed on the one and only Son of God. But the Bible also says that today is the day of salvation. And today, if, you'll hear his, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. The Bible also goes on to say that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Christian, if you're saved, it's not because you deserve it, not because you earned it, but by it's solely an act of grace and mercy on the part of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your grace, for your mercy, which, which reaches to the uttermost. And God, we thank you that we do not serve a, a dead Savior, but one who is alive and lives forevermore. And Lord, if there's somebody who's hearing me today that's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would save them today. God, we thank you that you are Lord of creation, true Lord in our lives. And God, we pray that we would be obedient to your will and to your call. In Jesus' name, amen.